Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. I want to share with you this morning something this, that I've actually been really excited to get into uh, for several months. Um, as many of you know, as most of you know, we transitioned from being High Country Christian Church to being Hope Church. Uh, that officially took place last week and became official. And that was something that we had been planning and had been in the works for quite some time. Uh, for, for about a year, actually. And how many of you know that's a big thing to change the name of an organization? That's just, you don't just do that. I mean, that takes a lot of thought and time. And so during the, the transition, I started to ask the Lord, Lord, what, as we transition into Hope Church, what are the things you want me to talk about? What are the things you want me to teach? What do people need to hear? And so one of the things that dropped into my heart was what we're going to talk about today, and we're actually going to kind of do a little series, a three-part series. Uh, I'm titling the series, This Is Us, which if you watch the TV show, This Is Us, we'll have a special healing line for you at the end of the service. (laughs) My wife loves that show, and I could not like it less. (laughs) It's just... It's so, y'all, it's so emotional, my goodness. But I mean, there's some warm, fuzzy moments, I guess. But, but the title of the series that I want us to jump into for, for today and then two following weeks is This Is Us. And it's a discussion on, the, on Hope Church's core values. What do we as a church value at the very heart of who we are? Why is that important? Why should we be talking about it? And what are those things that we value? I intend to give an introduction to that today and then launch into it further in the next two weeks. So I hope that you'll come uh, with me on this little journey and let's see what God wants to speak to our hearts. Would that be okay? Let's bow our heads in prayer for a moment and then we'll prepare uh, our hearts and make our confession of faith. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. We're so honored that we get to be in this place this morning and that we have the chance to receive from your word, Lord, because your word is paramount. Your word is the most important thing in the universe, Lord. And we make time, not just in this moment here, but we make, we make our hearts available as well. We yield ourselves to be receiving, to be receptors of your word and of the truth that comes out of your word. Lord, you said in your word that the entrance of your word brings light that it brings clarity into confusion. Father, that your word comes and sorts out for us inside of our hearts things that have troubled us. So God, we ask for the illumination of your word today to penetrate each and every heart. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts today. Cause this word to come alive in a way that we have never seen before. We'll give you the praise and we'll give you the glory. In your name, Jesus, we pray. And everybody said amen. 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 Let's look up on the screens. We can make our confession of faith together. We love to declare this each and every Sunday. Let's read it out loud together. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things 
of God. We are growing in the things of God. I believe that when you leave this place this morning, you're going to be six inches taller spiritually because something is going to transpire on the inside of your heart. The word of God is going to gain access into your heart and it's going to change you. How many of you know that Christianity is unique among world religions in that we are changed not from the outside in, but from the inside out? Every other world religion is in pursuit of pleasing a God or of trying to be good enough, working from the outside in, trying to change our behavior, trying to be good enough, trying to do this, trying to do that. And how many of you know that God, the God of heaven, has made it possible for you to not be tra- transformed from the outside in? by your good works, by your good deeds. It's not about you being perfect. It's about the fact that Jesus is perfect. And when his love gets shed abroad in your heart, you get filled with the very best of who God is. Amen? So that's one thing that we can rejoice about this morning. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, please. Matthew 16, verse 18 is the verse we want to look at. Actually, we'll look at verse 17 for a little bit of context here in just a second. But in this series, I'm going to share with you the things that we as a church value. And those values are the things that shape the culture that we're seeing built here at Hope Church. Matthew chapter 16 We'll read verse 17 and verse 18. And I want to tell you this morning, I would encourage you to take notes. I always encourage you to take notes because you remember things better that way. Uh, one, one pastor used to say all the time, when we come to church, we're coming to school. We're coming to learn, man. We're coming to grow. So, so take it seriously, okay, and, and take some good notes. But um, I want to share this ver- these two verses with you, and then we'll jump into quite a bit more. I've got a lot of verses to go through today. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture. So as you're taking notes and as you got your Bible, be nimble, okay? Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. A couple quick things to note about this scripture. I'm actually not going to preach on this scripture in this series. It's literally, I just want this to be kind of a backdrop and a reminder to us of what Jesus said in verse 18, that he is building his church. Hope Church is not your church. It's not my church. It doesn't belong to any of us. It belongs to Jesus. I was just having a conversation with a friend about this this week because, you know, I, I hang out with pastors and I talk to a lot of other pastors. A lot of my friends are pastors. And, and pastors say things all the time, and they don't mean to do it, but they say things possessively like, our church, our people, our leaders, our this, our that. How many of you know it's all God's? Jesus is building his church, and we get to be a part of that. He said, I will build my church church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Before real, real quick before we go on, what are what are just think about this for a moment. What what are gates for? Think about a gate. Think about a gate of a city back when cities had gates around them when the Bible was written. What were the gates for? Keep things out. 
right? How many of you realize Jesus is inviting us to get aggressive with the kingdom of God? He did not say that the attacking armies of hell would prevail. He said the gates of hell would prevail. That means that when you attack hell, it can't stop you. Right? When, when, when you move forward in the things of God, you see, you're not designed to retreat. We're not designed to slide backwards as Christians. We're designed to advance and move forward in the things of God. And Jesus' words here are a reminder to us that as we advance as the church, have, uh, hell's preventative measures won't be able to stop us. Hell's best defenses won't be able to stop the church that's moving forward. Jesus is building that church, amen? And we get to be a part of it. That's all the preaching I'm going to do on Matthew 16. Other than to say that Jesus is in the process of building his church, and I I love this, guys. He uses everyday, ordinary people like you and me to build together with him. Jesus is building his church, and you and I are working with him. We're cooperating with him to build his church. Paul actually says something very similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. You can write this down and go look at it later. Paul says that we are co-laborers with Christ. That we are co-fellow workers with him. It's like Jesus is leading the whole church and saying, here's how I want this thing built. And he gives us instruction and we get to partake in the building of his church. Isn't that awesome? Again, it's not our church. It's his church. We just get to part in building. I'm using this verse as a main text for this series as a whole, not because we're going to pick it apart and teach from this verse specifically, but simply to remind us that the big picture here is that Jesus is building his church, and we're a part of that process. Make sense to you? All right, let's move on from there. I want to talk to you, as I said, and this, this series is all about our values. And I want to start by making a statement here. And if you're taking notes, please write this down because we'll refer back to this a lot throughout the series. Here's the statement. Values define a culture and culture fulfills a vision. Values define a culture and culture fulfills a vision. You can have the best vision in the world for your future. And if the culture of your life, the culture that you tolerate, doesn't rise to the level of the vision, the vision will sink to the level of the culture. A good friend of mine said that to me one time, and it just blew my mind. He said, your vision will always fall to the level of your culture, not the other way around. If you just leave status quo, if you don't change anything, and you have a great vision, and you don't do anything to adjust the culture that's surrounding that vision, the vision will slowly sink down to whatever the level of the culture is that undergirds it. Does that make sense? Culture, excuse me, vision, or excuse me, (laughs) values define a culture. Culture fulfills a vision. We will never get to fulfill the vision that God has placed before us as a church if we don't take seriously the culture that we're building. Yeah, it fell down behind me. I know it. Congratulations. That's so funny. Um, If we don't develop on purpose the culture 
we won't see the vision fulfilled. I want to make this statement. This is another one that was kind of a shocker to me. Culture eats vision for breakfast. Culture eats vision for breakfast. I was talking with my pastor one time, and he said to me, he said, you can have the greatest vision in the world that anybody has ever had. Should I give Josh a second? Let me give him a second. All right, I'm going to keep talking. Y'all look at me. Don't look at him. I know that's hard to do. He's a pretty good looking guy. <laughs> Pastor, Pastor Jonathan was saying to me one time, he said, he said, listen, he said, you can have the very best vision that anybody on planet earth has ever had. Jesus could have come into your room at night with a scroll that says, here's the vision that I have for your life and handed it to you and blessed you and prayed for you. And he said, and if you never make any changes in your life, that vision doesn't actually mean anything because the culture is what supports and undergirds the vision. Culture eats vision for breakfast. A good example of this is many of our New Year's resolutions. How many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution? How many of you are two and a half weeks into your New Year's resolution? How many of you gave up on the third? <laughs> few of us, right? The resolution, a.k.a. vision, only works if your actions, a.k.a. culture, is able to support the resolution. Culture can be formed slowly over time, but it can also be disrupted quickly to create change faster. That's what happens when we go to the gym. Just using the New Year's resolution as an example. I want to, this is my year. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I got a great vision for, the, for this year. And so what do we need to do? We need to crank start our vision and say, you know what? I'm used to sleeping in till eight o'clock, but from now on, I'm getting up at five or six or whatever so that I got time to go to the gym and make this vision come to pass. You have to learn. I have to learn to be okay with our day-to-day -day life being disrupted in order to elevate the culture of our heart and take us to where God wants us to go. Does that make sense to you this morning? Culture can be defined by the things that we value and by the things that we tolerate. Yes. Selah. Think about that one for a second. Our culture, not just our church culture, but think about this on a personal level. Use the example of losing weight in your New Year's resolution. Okay. Our culture can be defined by the things that we value. It can also be defined by the things that we tolerate. I can really, really love green salads and green vegetables, which I actually do. But if I tolerate cupcakes, the resolution's not going to come to pass. Right? I can be like, oh, yeah, man, I love healthy food. Tim and I have had conversations about this many times because we're like, you know what? I love salads. I love broccoli. I just love cheeseburgers, too. Right? I love cheeseburgers with bacon stuffed between two Krispy Kreme donuts, man. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's another thing I learned from Mr. Honeycutt here. <laughs> it's not necessarily just about what I value, but I have to ask the question, what do I tolerate? Why do I say that? 
I'm saying that fulfilling God's will for your life is going to require some things of you. I can't say that I value faith and tolerate unbelief. I can't say that I'm in pursuit of unity and hold on to my bad attitude at the same time. Come on, I'm talking to y'all this morning. Amen. I can't, I can't grab a hold of both. I'm going to have to commit to one or the other. I'm going to have to commit to the things I tolerate and realize that I am what I tolerate. Or I'm going to have to commit to the things that I value and let those values change who I am. Amen. As a Christian, the values that come out of God's word must be the things that dominate my thinking so that my attitudes and habits can be built around those things. I have to place God's values at the center of my thought life. That's what we mean when we say we got to renew our minds. The Bible talks to us about renewing our minds. What does that mean? It means I grab a hold of God's value system and I put that at the center of my thought life so that all my habits and everything that I do gets centered on what God says is true. And then my, the culture of my heart begins to drastically change. That's how somebody can have an interaction with the Bible, can have an interaction with the Spirit of God and come away a transformed person. How does that happen? Their thought life changed. What they valued changed. They began to take God's perspective on things and let it influence their life. That's how you change a culture. Healthy values will produce a healthy church culture I'm getting somewhere, by the way. I'm just, this is all the intro. Healthy values will produce a healthy church culture, which will help us to become more and more effective in fulfilling God's will for our church. What am I saying? I'm saying that the fulfillment of God's will for your life as an individual, for your family, as a family unit, for our church and our community, the fulfillment of God's will for our lives doesn't happen by accident. Amen. I love what John Maxwell says. He says, nobody got to a place of success and scratched their head and said, gee, how did I get here? Nobody tumbled or fell forward into success. If, if you want to be, if you want to see the will of God come to pass in your life, it's going to be the result of you making some decisions and putting your foot down on some things and saying, you know what, here's what I value, here's what I'm not willing to tolerate, here's what I'm going to do, and here's how I'm going to follow God. Amen? That is how we build healthy church culture. It happens because we are intentional about how we live and about how we conduct ourselves as a church. Now, I'm not trying to be heavy this morning, but I am trying to help you to understand that this stuff doesn't happen by accident. I love what my pastor says, Pastor Jonathan Del Turco. He says this. He says, we aim to create culture by design, not by default. How many of you have figured out that default is almost never the best? Right? Default in your life, status quo is almost never the best that things could be. What happens to a can of soda when you just leave it out and don't touch it and don't mess with it? It goes flat, right? And then it's no fun to drink, right? How many of you love warm, flat Coca-Cola, right? No. 
No, what does it take? It takes some intentionality. You've got to put it in a bottle. You've got to seal that bottle up. And then that bottle's got to go in the fridge. You can't leave it in the sun. You can't just, you can't just willy-nilly if you want a refreshing Coca-Cola, right? It takes some intentionality. The will of God is no different. You, you may, listen, you may have to stop binge-watching your favorite show for a while and pray a little bit more. Selah. <laughs> I'm kind of stepping on my own toes. My wife and I just started a new show last night. <laughs> now, the things that I've learned in my life up to this point is that the most valuable stuff is always at the very top of the mountain, and that always requires my best to get there. It's not that God doesn't love you. It's just that there's certain things in the kingdom of God that have only been reserved for the hungriest of people. There's certain things that God, listen, Jesus said, he that asks uh, receives, he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. Every one of the best things that God has for your life is, is, is on the other side of your pursuit of him. It's, it's, you just can't be passive in the kingdom of God. That's what I'm trying to say. Amen. We're intentional about our values because we want to be the best that we can be in our partnership with Jesus building his church. Remember what we said from Matthew 16, Jesus is building his church and we get to be a part of that. That means we're going to be intentional about our values. We're going to be intentional about the culture that when people think of Hope Church, these are the things they're going to think of, okay? And as we do that, we're going to find that we are able to see the vision of God come to pass. So what are our core values? I have about 15 or so minutes left of time this morning to share with you. And in that time, let's answer some questions. What are our core values? Well, there's like 30 five of them. And <laughs> I spent some time with the Lord praying and writing about and, and dialoguing with the Lord about our values. And then we ended up spending some time as a leadership team to talk about those values. And in discussing these things, we found out why they were important. And I'm going to tell you, it's, it's actually a little more difficult than it sounds to reduce all these things that you value about God into a few short things that people can understand and remember. As the list of things that we value grew longer, I started to see themes emerge within the list. And then I asked the Lord for his help and his wisdom. And by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, we're able to come up with a simple list of five things that we value as a church. And within each one of those five things, there's a bunch of sub points. And that's what we're going to kind of unpack today in the next two weeks. Does that make sense? I didn't just want to do what so many do, which I'm guilty of doing, of presenting this really big mammoth list of all the things we value. I mean, how many things are there about, how many attributes of God are there that we could value? Like a billion, right? Well, that doesn't fit on the back of a brochure. Okay, that, does, that doesn't fit neatly on signage or on a website. And it also doesn't fit neatly in our minds and in our thought life. We wanted to communicate to you guys what are the things that we value so that you can first learn them and live by them and then also communicate that to other people. That when people ask you about the church you go to, we want you to be empowered to say, well, here's what we're all about. We're all about these five things. Does that make sense? 
So these are the five things that at Hope Church we value. Number one, we value God's word. That should not come as a surprise. Number one, we value God's word. Number two, we value God's presence. Amen. Number three, we value God's family. Number four, we value God's culture. Been talking about culture quite a bit today. There's more where that came from. Number four, we value God's culture. Number five, the fifth and last one, we value God's character. We value God's character. Of all those 20 or 30 attributes that I was telling you that we started out writing, we, I sat down downstairs in my office and went on the whiteboard and just started writing. Man, what are the things that, about God that we love? What are the things about healthy church life that we value? And I just started writing and writing and writing, and there was 20 or 30 things on that list. Then we started to boil it down, find easier ways to say things. You know what I'm saying? And all of that stuff fits in one of these five categories. We value God's word. We value God's presence. We value God's family. We value God's character. And we value God's culture. And over the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about what those things mean. But today, we're going to talk about value number one. And that's where we're going to end today, which is God's word. How many of you are thankful for the word of God this morning? Amen? As I said, this one should come at absolutely no surprise. The word of God is the foundation to everything that we believe as Christians. You missed a great place to say amen right there. I just want to tell you, I just want to let you know that right there was the moment. Okay? Let me, let me say, that's right, y'all writing it down. I know you, I'm just giving you a hard time. I'm having fun. But, the, but seriously, though, let me say that again so that we really get it. I want you to get this. The word of God is the foundation to everything that we believe as Christians. If we don't have the word of God support, literally supporting our lives, all of Christianity falls apart. It's amazing. It's amazing to think that God bound up himself in his word and gave it to us. This Bible that you carry is not a book of myths. It's not a book of stories. It's not just something to pass the time. This is the written word of the living God. This is the substance that created the universe. Think about that for a moment. This is the substance that created the universe. Everything you see and everything you cannot see can be traced back to this, this word. It's not just a book. It's not just a textbook to be studied. It is, it is the word of God in print meant to be digested in our lives every single day and lived out. I... I I'm doing something right now that I've never done before, and it is stretching me to my core. I am reading through the entire Bible in the month of January, and it's, it's crazy. It's like 40 chapters a day. It's nuts. I've had to use the Bible app on my phone to help me to keep up, and I'm still behind. I'm going to finish like maybe February 2nd, I think. But still, that's pretty good. Um, I'm doing it with a buddy of mine, and, and we were talking yesterday, actually, about this, and, and we said, man, you know what? We finally made it through the tough parts. We finally made it through Second Chronicles. Oh, my God. Oh, 
y'all, Chronicles. Here's the thing that's happened. I'm more in love with Jesus today because I've been reading this word for like two hours every day. And I haven't even gotten to the good stuff yet. You understand? I haven't gotten to the book of Romans yet. I've been in Ecclesiastes and 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings and Leviticus. Oh my God, Leviticus. Do you know that you can find Jesus on every page? Do you know that he's there on every single page? Do you know that the, y'all don't understand how gracious God is until you read about Israel. God is so amazing and he's so gracious. Study his people. Study what he did from Genesis to Revelation. I'm telling you, the word of God will absolutely transform your life. It's not just a book, y'all. It's God. It's it's heaven. It's eternity in print. May we never lose reverence for this amazing resource. Amen. Oh, there is no understanding of God outside of the revelation of his word. This is such, I don't know why I put so much pressure on myself. This is such an enormous topic that 20 minutes or 25 minutes on a Sunday is not going to do it justice. But I hope to whet your appetite a little bit. There's two concepts of the word of God that we need to understand. And that is the word that he spoke and the word which he is speaking. The word that he spoke and the word that he is speaking. The Greek language helps us out in this very wonderfully because there are two words in the Greek language that describe the word of God. One is the word logos or logos. The other one is the word rhema. Logos and rhema. You'll hear preachers throw those two phrases around. It's important that you know what they mean. Logos is the, we we call it the written word of God, the Bible. Logos is the Bible. It is the sum total of God's thoughts in print. The word rhema is the word which we use to describe the spoken word of God. The, The active present, not just this. Guys, this is what he has said. What you hear in your heart as you read this is what he is saying. And you need to know both. You need to know both. Amen. It's, it's, let me say this, it's imperative that we know what he is saying to us. We will never know what he is saying to us until we learn to hear what his voice sounds like in what he has said. I, I talk to people and Christians and, and they ask me, how do I hear God more? Oh, I want to I be able to hear God. Pastor, you seem to be able to hear God really well. How do I hear God more? Read your Bible. Take it. Open it to literally any page except for the maps, (laughs) right? Open your Bible to any page, pick any verse, and God is talking to you right now. If you want to know what his voice sounds like in your heart, familiarize yourself by learning what his voice sounds like on the page. There are two ways that God speaks to us. He speaks by what he spoke and his word comes by what he is still speaking. Look at, look at uh, let me give you just some rapid fire verses here. Um, Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. How many of you are thankful that the word is not relevant today and irrelevant tomorrow? I had a conversation with a pastor friend of mine many years ago, and he said, I'm trying to determine how to become more relevant for the younger crowd. He said, what are your thoughts on relevancy? I said, preach the word. Preach the word. Listen, the Bible is always relevant. The Bible will never grow dull. It will never be out of style. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word never gets dull, y'all. You want to be relevant to your friend group? You want to be relevant at your job? Preach people the word. Talk to them about the scripture. Let God's word go to work in their life. You'll find out real fast how relevant the scripture can actually be. Amen. Matthew chapter 4, 4, Jesus answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that, what? Proceeds from the mouth of God. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that, what? Goes out forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing unto which I have sent it. Do you see those four scriptures that we just mentioned there? Two of them have to do with the reality that the word of God will stand forever. The Bible says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And then Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds, present tense, proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's this idea of logos and rhema, this idea that there, that there is this eternal, forever established word of God that never changes, that never grows old, that never gets tired, and it is the logos of God. And then there is the rhema of God. There is the word that he is speaking to you right here, right now. You need to know both. Amen. You need to know both. I quoted to you Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, in the last few minutes, let me share with you some of the attributes of God's word, both written and spoken. What are we, what are we talking about this morning? We're talking about our values, right? What's the first thing that we value here? God's word. Here's why. Because God's word is the truth. Better, better yet, God's word is truth. You can, let me tell you something. You can measure everything against the word of God. You can measure everything against the word of God. You got a situation in life that you don't know how to deal with? Take it to the word. You will find something in this scripture that will speak to that exact issue. 100% of the time, never fails. <clears throat> God's word is truth. John 17, 17 says, Jesus is praying in this verse, and he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How many of you have... have had in this last election cycle the same thought process that I've had, which is this. I'm not exactly sure what to believe. How many of you have heard different news sources, different stories, different things from every place on the political spectrum? 
right? We've been in the thick of it for eight months. How many of you know that in the confusing environment like that, you can still go back to God's word every time and find out exactly what the truth is? Because his word is truth. Number two, the word is eternal and is inseparable from God. The word is eternal and it is inseparable from God. John chapter 1 verse 1 tells us, In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That verse on its own tells me that the word of God is eternal has no start, has no end, has no boundary, has no limitation on its capabilities. God's word is eternal. When you hold the word of God in your heart, you're literally latching a hold of eternity. You are latching a hold of something so much bigger than you. Amen. The word is eternal and it is inseparable from God. That verse says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Watch this. And the word was God. God and his word are inseparable. Like my friend Joey likes to say, to have God's word on a matter is to have God on that matter. Isn't that good? To have God's word in a situation is to have God in that situation. You want to fix your family life? Get God's word working in your family. You want to fix your broken marriage? Get God's word working in your marriage. You want to fix your messed up business? Get God's word working in your messed up business. And guess what happens? God shows up in the middle of that situation. Why? Because we've brought his word into that situation. And when we do that, things start to change. Amen. Number one, his word is truth. Number two, his word is eternal and inseparable from him. Number three, his word is nourishment and it is life. John chapter six, verse 63 says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. If you are not living the life that you want to live, get God's word in your life and start living the way he intended you to live. You're supposed to have more than enough joy. You're supposed to have more than enough peace. You're supposed to have more than enough satisfaction on the inside. If you're feeling depressed this morning, get the word of God and bring it into your situation. You'll find that it nourishes your soul so that the depression has to go. Guys, I'm convinced of it, and I grow more convinced of it as time goes on. Everything I need is in this word. Everything I need is in his word. And if I'll just bring his word into my life, his word will fix whatever I'm dealing with. Proverbs 4.20 says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all of their flesh. God's word is literal nourishment for you. How many of you have ever had a tummy ache after you eat so much junk food? Come on, don't look at me so sanctimonious. I know, you, I know you're out there. Amen. I mean, if you, I mean, you just went ham one night and ate like a whole pizza and three pieces of chocolate cake, and then you're just like, oh, that was a bad idea. We can't live on junk food, can we? Your spirit can't either. Your spirit can't live on junk food either. Your heart needs the nourishment of God's word. 
This word is like spinach and broccoli and all good, healthy things for your life. And the more you consume it, the healthier you'll be on the inside. Number four, I'm almost done. Number four, God's word is wisdom and its direction. I've heard people say this, and I attest to the truth of it, that the most requested prayer request that pastors get is for direction. Hey, brother, how can I pray for you? What do you need from God? I need direction, pastor. I need wisdom. How do I? I don't know what to do. I don't know what decision to make. I'm here to tell you God's word is wisdom and it's direction. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. God's word will show you exactly where to go. God's word will tell you exactly what you need to know. Finally, God's word, number five, is perfect doctrine. It is. You know, for centuries, people have squabbled and argued about doctrine, right? I've been in some of them conversations. God's word is perfect doctrine. Doctrine is what we live by. Doctrine is what we build our lives around. It's, doctrine is principles that we hang our spiritual hat on, so to speak. And God's word is perfect doctrine. There's a lot of great sayings out there. There's a lot of great wisdom out there. How many of you follow YouTube influencers or Instagram influencers? There's people out there got a lot of smart things to say, and there's nothing wrong with all of that. But the reality is that if you want to build a if you want to build your house on the perfect foundation on perfect doctrine, if you want a proverb that'll that'll perfectly add to your life, you're not going to find it apart from God's word. His word is perfect doctrine. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, or for instruction and righteousness that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. God wants to equip you for every good work. He wants to equip your life so that you can live the way he's called you to live. And he's given you his word as perfect doctrine. As I close, let me say these three things. Three points, three takeaways that I want you to understand. As we've, as we've said that our number one value, the first thing on our value list, our core value list at Hope Church is God's word. These are the three things I want you to take away from today. Number one, God's word is final authority. It's our standard for life. It's perfect, it's powerful, it's eternal. Number two, because of that, because God's word is final authority, we believe in preaching and teaching his word. We believe it. We don't just, I don't just prepare messages and stand up here because it's trendy. I don't just stand up here because that's, oh, well, that's the way that my dad did it, so I guess I'll do it that way too. No, we believe in preaching and teaching because the Bible says that that is what God has chosen the scripture says that God chose the foolishness of preaching to confound the wisdom of this world. So we believe in preaching and teach. I believe that when I speak and when other people, not just me, heavens no, but when other people speak, when we're all behind this pulpit pre proclaiming the word to you, we believe spiritual things are happening behind the scenes that you can't see and your heart is getting nourished by the word. So we believe God's word is final authority. Because of that, we believe in teaching and preaching. And number three, we also, because of that, believe in discipleship in the word of God. 
you need to be discipled by God's word. The word disciple has the same root word as the word discipline. It's literally the same Latin base. How many of you know you need to be disciplined by God's word? You need to be disciplined in God's word. Take it seriously. For your own good, man, take it seriously. Take his word and treasure it. Develop a disciplined life of reading the word. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be intimidated by this work. Get you, get you a Bible that you're comfortable reading. Seriously. Get, get, a, get the New Living Translation. I love that one a lot. That's the one I'm reading through in my crazy Bible January expedition. I'm reading through the New Living Translation because it makes the New Testament much easier to just read. You read, you, man, you'll get, in the, you'll get in the Old Testament and you'll read, you know, Jacob begat Esau. Or not, not begat, but Jacob didn't begat Esau. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Reuben. Jacob begat this one and that one. And there's just old, old King James language gets a little hard after a while. So get a Bible that you can read and enjoy. Get the Message Bible or the New Living Translation. Get the NIV. And listen, make it a discipline in your life. Read a chapter a day. Anybody can read a chapter a day. Right? Give, give God. Give God whatever you can give him. And let the word begin to disciple your heart. Okay? As you do that, you're going to find... You're going to find transformation happening on its own. Guys, we try so hard in our lives to fix ourselves. When simply we could just begin to look at God's word and be disciplined about reading his word and his word will actually do the fixing for us. You know, if I just sit and eat cheeseburgers all day, my body's going to get fat on its own, right? I'm not going to have to be like, man, look at all the time at the gym that I put into this roundness. No, that would be a byproduct of my consumption. In the same way, the thing you're trying so hard to accomplish in your life would become a byproduct of your consumption of the word of God. Develop an appetite for God's word and watch how almost by accident things start getting fixed in your life. I, I, I mean, it's, it sounds crazy, but it's really true. You start, to, you start to just digest God's word. You start to create an appetite and create a discipline around the word of God. You will be amazed at how quickly things get better in your life. I'm not saying you're going to have a perfect life with no problems. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am saying is that things that are out of order, chaos, things that have been bothering you, sins you could not seem to shake no matter how hard you tried, fall off of you almost without your awareness it's incredible it's absolutely incredible let's stand up to our feet this morning 
we hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.